episode 232 of the Pirate the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log, with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. You can get a free three-day trial of the Ground School app by visiting learnthefinerpoints.com. The TSO Certified Bose ProFlight Series 2 Aviation Headset pairs Bose noise cancellation with optimum comfort. It's engineered to be the lightest, most compact aviation headset for an uncompromised flying experience. Join Bose and test out the ProFlight Series 2 at Oshkosh booth 283, July 25th through the 31st. My name is Ty Burlingham. I'm the chief pilot at Precision based in McMinnville, Oregon. And I'm a dual-rated uh, ATP pilot flying uh, everything we have in the company from the PC-12s through all the helicopters, uh, you name it. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is with Ty Burlingham. Ty is a... Uh, a helicopter guy. I am crazy, right? Pilot the Pilot podcast uh, does not have many helicopter pilots on here, mainly because I have no idea what I'm talking about when a helicopter pilot comes on because I do not understand them to save my life. Ty comes on, he educates us everything there is to know about helicopters, talks about why he chose the helicopter route. He also is fixed wing and he flies PC 12s and does a lot of cool stuff and has a 180. So he is definitely worth the follow on Instagram. I'll put him down below, but go ahead and follow him. He's a great guy, great story, doing some really cool things in the industry. So you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Um, I hope you enjoy this. If you do, please leave, leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot and at Pilot's Coffee. Uh, as you're listening to this, it'll be the week of Osh. It'll be that Tuesday. I will be there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, leaving Thursday morning. So uh, if you're listening to this on Tuesday and you're there or you're driving there, you still have Tuesday night and Wednesday to come say what's up and come meet up. We will be doing a RAA at their booth. We are going to be having a special podcast there at their booth. If you come up, meet up with me, maybe we'll pick about five, 10 people. So the first five, 10 people that are there, we're actually going to interview you. We're going to have about five to 10 minute interviews per person. And we're going to have a special podcast just at the RAA booth. I'll be sitting there. I'll be asking questions, just kind of hanging out. So uh, it'll be a good time. You don't want to miss that. Uh, make sure you're following me on Instagram so you can see that. And that way you can get on the podcast. But Aviation, that's it for me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Without any further ado, here's Ty. Ty, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, uh, I'm pumped to have you on. I threw up this, uh, I needed to record with someone <laughs> on Friday, and you were one of the ones that reached out, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, we had time set up, and then you, of course, like you said, as Murphy, Murphy's Law comes into play and everything, you got uh, an, an ASAP for a reposition, and now uh, we're making it work. You're sitting in the back of a helicopter from what I hear. Yes, sir. Sitting here on the ramp in Missoula, Montana. That's not a bad place to sit. You know, it's probably a little hot, but uh, hopefully you get some AC soon. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad out here yet. So it's still early though. Oh, cool, man. Well, uh, let's start off with the beginning. Uh, let's talk about you. Uh, when, how, what was your inspiration for aviation? Uh, was it like a lifelong dream? Was it a family thing? Or is it just one day you saw an airplane like, cool, I want to do that? Yeah, uh, you know, is is kind of one of those things. I was always the kid that looked up to the sky when airplanes flew over. Um, I'm the first generation pilot in my family. It was my dad's dream. He always wanted to uh, have an excuse to have a, a, a airplane or helicopter to go check fields with uh, up in up in Oregon, where we 
we had a, a fertilizer and chemical company. And uh, so that's what he wanted to do was have somebody to go check fields with. And it just it never worked out for him. Uh, but when he decided to sell the company, uh, I had to kind of pick my own path. And I was going to do what you do. I was going to go into corporate aviation. And one day I saw a helicopter and, and took a flight in the helicopter. And that was it. I was hooked. And uh, yeah, that kind of got the ball rolling. So your first flight ever was in a helicopter and on an airplane? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was on commercial, you know, commercial jets and stuff before, but I never, for as far as GA size aircraft go, my first ride was in a helicopter. That's crazy. I look at helicopters and I just instantly shake my head and run away because they just don't make sense to me. And it's just like, no, thank you. I'll let someone else have that fun, but uh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> It's all right. They don't make sense to me still either. So we're yeah. safe. Yeah, right. That's good. I'm glad you're doing that for a living. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was it about helicopters? Like, well, most people I feel like go up in a, in a GA airplane, but you're like, nah, I'm going on a helicopter. You know, like I said, I, I was dead set. I was going to go down to Spartan College of Aeronautics. I was going to do corporate uh, aviation. And then after I took a ride in the helicopter, the, the total freedom of being able to, as soon as you lift off the ground, you know, you could, you're two inches off the ground, but you're flying. And and then all the freedom that comes with the helicopter of being able to go wherever you want to go. And they're not as fast as airplanes, of course, but, uh, it was more the freedom and, and the, I guess the, the different aspects of a helicopter pilot career where you can do, uh, you know, power lines and medevac and fire and, and you know, damn it, there's just so many things you could do on a helicopter side. And, uh, you can also trim trees with a trim trees with a chainsaw. I saw that one time. That was, uh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The, the big old, uh, James Bond saw. Yeah. That's crazy. I was in Northeast Ohio and I was driving back from, uh, from flying the PC 12 and I was like, what the heck is that? And sure enough, <laughs> trimming trees with trim, trimming. Wow. Well, it's hard to say trimming trees with a chainsaw and a big old, big old saw too. Not a tiny one. That thing is massive. No, they're huge. It's actually a snowmobile motor on most of those. Uh, Is it really? And then the, yeah, and they're like 36-inch blades. And there's different styles of them. But yeah, they're just keeping the trees away from the power lines. So you take a flight in a helicopter. Before that, you were dead set. What's going through your mind now? Are you like, shoot, I'm not going to Spartan College? Or was there a track with Spartan College you can go helicopters? Or kind of what was your thought process after that flight? So uh, there was a big flight school back then. Uh, it was called Silver State Helicopters. They had 30-some locations across the U.S. And uh, it was kind of an accelerated program. So once I took that flight, I, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to stay here local because it was right. It was uh, 20 minutes from my house. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the helicopter thing. You know, these guys are giving, guaranteeing me a job when I get done. And uh, that, was, that was kind of the plan. And I was like, well, I could just stay here and do this and, uh, you know, get into more of the utility aviation than the corporate side. So you kind of made it seem like, uh, you did have a plan to that call. And you also kind of talked about how that college might not be there anymore. That school, did it, did it fall through or were you able to get it done? You know, I got through, uh, I went from, uh, never being in a helicopter in my life to, uh, uh, being a CFII in 17 months. Uh, it, it would have been faster, but instrument kind of ate my lunch. So, uh, as it does, but uh, so I once I, I got through the program and then I was working for that flight school uh, about four months after I took the job with them, they uh, sent an email out that said, hey, you know, we're we're going bankrupt. Um, their people are coming to lock all the buildings up and seize assets and all this. And uh, so after that, it, it uh, all kind of went awry. There's thousands of CFIs out of work at that point. 
all low time, you know, sub 1500 hours and not a whole lot of work out there. I was lucky enough to get out with a small operator uh, just up the road from my house with a single helicopter. And I, I ended up working for him for two years, but that was, that was kind of the transition from the large flight school to, to the next step in my career. When you had that kind of adversity, did you ever think like, uh, maybe this is a sign, maybe I should do something else? Or were you so gung-ho? You're like, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to figure it out. Uh, I know there's another thousand people just like me with low time in a helicopter. And I know you said there are a lot of jobs in helicopters, but there's probably less helicopter first jobs than there are fixed wing first jobs, if I had to guess. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty terrifying when that happened, uh, you know, just cause I knew there were so many people that were in the same boat I was. And, uh, I ended up staying up all night, sending out resumes everywhere I could and really didn't expect to get a response from anybody, but I got a phone call the next morning and, uh, ended up getting an interview and, um, but the, as far as like the entry level jobs, of course it's better now than it was then just like the fixed wing side. Uh, but it, it's definitely not, there's not as much depth on the helicopter side as there is on the fixed wing side for that entry level stuff. And so. helicopters are also double the price. Am I, am I wrong? Or am I correct? Uh, <laughs> yeah, double the price or more. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So when I went through flight school, it was seventy thousand dollars to do all your ratings. And now it now it's probably closer to a hundred and hundred and twenty. Now, what kind of helicopter are you starting in? Like a Robinson? Uh, is it a 44? Is that, is that correct? No, I, I started, it, that is correct, but I started in the 22, the okay. smaller version. So Robinson 22, then they have a 44, and I'm guessing they have a ton of other ones as well. But So you start in the 22, and that's just, uh, is that like uh, the equivalent of like the 172 in the helicopter world? It'd be more like the 150. <laughs> Perfect. So is the yeah. 44 like yeah. the, the 172, or is that like a 182? No, the 44s were like a 172, yeah. And then and then the 66, you know, it's more like the, the 206. That's crazy. So. That's that's kind of interesting. I, I literally know nothing about helicopters, so this is all... <laughs> anytime I talk to someone <laughs> helicopters, it's just me like trying to really understand what they are. Uh, I'm guessing small... Are they, are they small piston, like four four uh, piston engines? Like, or not four piston engines, but you know what I mean? Four cylinders? Yeah, what? It's, yep. It's the, it's the 0360. Yeah, same. So as you're familiar with, you know, the 172s and everything, it's... So you're, you're running that, the four-cylinder, and then we go to the 66, it goes to a 540 uh, Lycoming, and then and then the 66 is a turbine. Uh, I'm guessing the uh, the 22 is a little tight fit, huh? Yeah, uh, you are shoulder to shoulder, and uh, it's great when it's summertime because you can take the doors off and then you have a little more room, but uh, and they're also very, very, very power limited. It's a small training helicopter, so it's great to learn in um, because of that, but... I wish the, uh, I know you don't know much about it, but the Cabri, the Gimbal Cabri G2 is the newest trainer out and it was actually designed to be a trainer. Uh, it's it's kind of like a baby A-star. I really wish that was around when I learned to fly because it's a really amazing little helicopter. How does, uh, so underpowered helicopter, or we'll call it that, the, R, the, the 22, how does that work at density altitude up in the Oregon mountains or anything like that? It's kind of like a no-go on certain hot days or is it is it pretty capable? Uh, it's it's still pretty capable. Uh, the, there's a cup being over in Bend, Oregon, which they're at uh, like 4,000 feet over there, and it gets pretty warm. Uh, and they fly them all the time. Uh, there's flight school down in Arizona um, that it's right next to Emeryville, I think, down there in Prescott, and uh, they they fly them down there. And so they're still flying when it's 8,000 DA. Uh, I think they uh, they might use the skids a little bit to slide across the ground to get going, but they <laughs> they, they still work. So. I was going to say, in a plane, you can tell when you're, when you're heavy because, you know, the, the, the takeoff roll is just like, all right, any day now, any day now. Is it similar in a helicopter? You add the power and you're like, all right, any day now. It kind of just like starts skipping up and down a little bit, I'm guessing. 
No, absolutely. Yeah. You pull your power in and if you're not going up, you, you kind of have to start creeping forward to try to get the blades in some cleaner air. And, uh, a lot of times that means you go back down toward the ground a little bit and you might slide across the ground. So that's crazy. That, yeah. Imagine that on your first day. You're like, Oh, it's totally normal. You're fine, man. It's like, well, I can't have more power. <laughs> it's fine. Just skid the blades. No worries. <laughs> exactly. Uh, tell me about yeah. your training. You mentioned that IFR kicked your butt, but, um, your first couple flights on helicopter, was it just the coolest thing ever? Or were you like, what am I doing? This is, this is crazy. No, the, the first, you know, I had a total misconception of what helicopters were. Uh, I thought there was some kind of fan on the back of them that pushed them forward. And I just had no idea. And so my first flight, I'll never forget when the instructor rotated forward, you know, he dips the nose down and I kind of try to sit back in my seat more like, well, what's happening? And we accelerate, we take off, we go out over the river and kind of got dipped down below a tree line. And I mean, it was just a magic carpet. It was unreal. And I was so hooked right off the bat. Uh, but yeah, the, I, the first couple of flights are just kind of learning to learning to hover the thing. That's really what your first couple of flights are. And as an instructor, it is entertaining because, you know, it's like somebody trying to stand on a greased up beach ball with a blindfold uh, when they're first learning. And you know, for that first five hours, you know, or probably more than that for me, but uh, most of my students seem to be about five hours. They can kind of hold a hover, but I mean, the helicopters just go in all directions. You know, you're trying to give them, one control at a time so they can kind of figure out what each one does. And then when you give them all the controls, it just goes haywire. Um, that's, but that, that's your first, you know, five, 10 hours. And then you start prepping, uh, you know, you start doing pattern work, doing your normal approaches, uh, running through basic emergencies. Then you get into auto rotations. And, uh, so where you, you know, you're turning, you're rolling the engine back to idle and you're, and you're actually gliding down through the air. Uh, you're not gliding. You are falling. Don't lie. Oh, you you're, you're gliding. You you're are gliding. falling. You it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're doing better than a brick with feathers on it. But That's yeah, true. You're not going to go that far. <laughs> Technically, you're, yeah. you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, as an instructor, you do thousands and thousands of auto rotations. And uh, so you, you get pretty decent at them there for a while. And, uh, but yeah. For me and, and other people, auto rotations, is that just you're kind of harvesting like the last bit of energy to kind of technically, as you would say, glide, as I would say, fall toward the ground. And then you pull back at the last moment. So an auto rotation. So in normal powered helicopter flight, you're actually pulling air down from above the aircraft through the rotor system with the engine power. In an auto rotation, as you begin to, as you say, fall out of the sky, the air goes up through the rotor system from underneath it and it keeps the blades spinning. And so you can actually manage your rotor RPM and inertia as you're coming down. You can manage your speed. You can manage your glide path. And then as you come down closer to the ground, you can you start a, a small flare pulling back on the stick. And then as you get closer to the ground, you want to ex- you're just exchanging energy. So you're taking your forward airspeed and turning it into rotor RPM so that you can build that rotor RPM up when you come out of all your airspeed. You can put the helicopter on the ground and it's a non-event. It's a non-event unless you flare too early or you kind of mess up your, your, your speed. Just like if you lose an engine anytime, if you, if you do one too early and you don't, you're not kind of in tune with the aircraft, you're going to, you could find yourself in an issue. Is that the most common error though, is that you might, um, you know, things are getting pretty, pretty hectic and you think you're close to the ground. You are, you pull the, you pull up too soon and then you kind of lose all your energy. Yeah. That's a pretty common mistake students make. They, uh, they, they definitely, you know, the ground's scary when it's flying at you. So a lot of people tend to flare too high, um, you know, and so it just takes more practice to get that sight picture down. You know, it's just like doing power off 180s in a, in a Piper. You know, they don't glide very well. So, so talk about the uh, the hovering. What makes it so hard? Is it just the coordination? Is it just understanding 
uh, the different forces of flight that you have at your controls? Like what is actually like the hardest part to understand about hovering and why does it take five hours or why is it so confusing and so uh, not intimidating, but just can be difficult? Yeah, you know, it's it's everything you just said. So the, the biggest thing about hovering is, you know, the, the forces of flight. So the helicopter doesn't want to just sit there, you know, like, like an airplane, if you... If you left your uh, your flight control lock in and you push the throttle forward, the thing is going to take off and fly pretty straight for a little while until it stalls. Uh, but for the helicopter, if the collective comes up off the off the off the stop, so the collective is what makes you up and down. As you lift that up and the helicopter goes into the air, it has no stability. You are the only system keeping that aircraft upright. So that's the most difficult part. And so most students, when they have when they're learning to hover. And you give them, say, the pedals, which control your tail rotor. That, that's a pretty basic concept. They can understand that. You have them turn the nose back and forth, left and right. Um, then you take the pedals back. You give them the collective. Like, all right, make us go up and down. So they lift it up. You go up. They push down. We go down. You take it back. You take the cyclic. And that is where it gets a little sporty. Uh, most people can't hover right off the bat with just the cyclic. And that's the thing that controls all your lateral directions. Uh, and then when it gets real wild is when you actually give them all three controls and your mind, this isn't programmed yet on what's happening with what control, cause you're so new to it. And, and uh, that's where the people struggle the most. So, and it just takes, it's just repetition at that point to get them to, to get the concept. What's the farthest you've let a student go? And then you're like, all right, well, that's way too far. You'll start spinning like five feet above the ground or you, you usually catch it before then. Oh no, I've done, you know, 360 spins or more. I've done, I've been looking straight at the ground. I've been looking straight at the sky, you know, and as you, as you get more experience as an instructor, you definitely let it go a little further, uh, more for your own entertainment than anything, but you really got to pay attention to the student because if if they're getting scared, they're going to, you're, you're, you're ruining the benefit of the lesson. Right. So. Uh, all right. So you're moving forward in your training. Uh, you said instrument kicked your butt. Is is it very similar? Do you do private instrument commercial? Is there an ATP or is that just a fixed wing thing? Kind of talk a little about the training. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's the same progression. You get your private, uh, you move into the instrument while you're building time for your commercial. The, the big difference from fixed wing to helicopter is you get your commercial rotorcraft license at 150 hours instead of 250. So, so you, uh, yeah, you come out of private, you go an instrument in, Everything's still the same for instrument. Uh, you're, you're flying category A, you know, slow approaches. And um, the, the big difference is we don't have any autopilot in the, the training helicopters. At least we didn't then. Some of the new ones do. And, uh, and they're just not stable. So versus, you know, you can trim the airplane out and it'll kind of stay at the altitude you want. And it'll stay pretty straight and level. But the helicopters doesn't do that. So... Um, instrument training the, the flying portion of it wasn't my issue it was the the bookwork side and and understanding all the rules and stuff with with instrument flying i love instrument now um but yeah i just back then it was just you know it was just totally eating my lunch yeah it's probably just like fixed swing you know at some point it's going to click and you just got to keep hitting your head against a brick wall until it, it all of a sudden opens up everything and everything kind of connects and you're like oh that's why we do it <laughs> got it exactly yeah. exactly so yeah i did the did the instrument though I finally got through it, uh, knocked the commercial out, uh, CFI, CFII, and then yes, there is ATP on the helicopter side. And so I, I am ATP rated for uh, helicopter and uh, and single engine land. So how did uh, 
you got your, you're doing your instructor stuff. You lost that job. You get this next job. Um, is this a very common job? Like what was, I guess better question is what was your next job? Was it flying pipeline patrol? Was it just doing uh, local flights for this one, one guy or what were you doing? So it was another flight school. Um, you know, this guy saw that the, this, this huge flight school was going out of business and was, uh, he could see that there was going to be a market for another flight school in the area. And so he had one Schweitzer 300, uh, kind of like a grasshopper. Uh, and, and so that was the plan. He was, he was looking to get an instructor on board to start building his flight school, which we did, uh, ended up instructing there, uh, helping another guy write a 141 program and get that approved. Uh, he had a single pot 135. We ended up leasing the R44 and getting it on a single pot 135. And he also had an MD500 that we ended up uh, getting a hook on and flying Christmas tree harvest with. And then adding another Schweitzer eventually also. So we ended up getting pretty busy. And I ended up staying there for about two years uh, between instructing and doing uh, your basic commercial operations of photo flights, video stuff, uh, Christmas tree harvest, uh, whatever anybody could think of to pay us. What is, uh, so explain a Christmas tree harvest. What are you doing? Are you picking up trees, taking them to and from? What are you doing? Yeah, so uh, it's pretty interesting. The most efficient way they found out here in the, on the West Coast to harvest Christmas trees is to have a crew go in and cut the trees down on the field. And then depending on the size of the tree, how many they put in a bundle. And so they'll put, uh, they'll put two ropes out that are chokers on the ground and they'll have a crew stack the trees up, you know, could be... One tree, it could be 30 trees, uh, but depending on how big they are. And uh, they'll tie the chokers off. And then there's a guy that runs around the field in a high-vis vest, and you, you're flying pretty much as fast as you can all day long. And so you come at this guy with your, with your helicopter and your line underneath it. Uh, he uh, catches the hook, attaches the line with the trees are on, and then you fly the trees out of the field. And the most efficient way to do it is to fly them into the back of a uh, truck. Like a, it's a semi-truck that has no top on it. And so you come in, you swing the trees out, you drop them in the truck and you go back for another one. You normally do about a thousand turns a day. Oh my God. I thought you were going to say like yeah. 120, a thousand turns. <laughs> yeah. We do about 120 an hour. Holy smoke. So you're not, you're flying yeah. like, uh, like a couple miles to and from or not even. Not even. No, I mean, sometimes Jeez. the truck can be 20 feet away from where the trees are. Oh my gosh. Is that not, yeah. I, mean, I feel like at some point you're like, all right, this is really boring. Right. Or, you know, you're like, this is sick. No, I mean, it is, it's always that first week of the season is really exciting. And you get back in your groove, you really find your rhythm because that's how Chris, that's what it's all about. It's not about how fast you can go. It's about what kind of rhythm you can get in. Cause if you get in a, if you get in a rhythm, you're being, you're being nice to the machine. You're being easy on your body. Um, all that, but yeah, the, it does get monotonous, you know, when you're on week three harvest and you've already flown a hundred hours and you know, you're, the weather's good. It, it's like, okay, back to the truck. Oh, back to the hooker, back to the truck. Do you have time to eat or do you just like go out, hover somewhere and eat and go to the bathroom and then keep now, going? <laughs> we land every hour, um, to get more gas. And so you get like a five minute break, you get a little snack, drink some water. Five all minutes, the guys wow. Don't go crazy. Yeah. I <laughs> know. Uh, well, we, we do shut down for lunch. We take a half hour for lunch. Oh, a half hour. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, that's got to be fun though. Everyone loves Christmas and kind of being around. My favorite job actually, it's not what you were doing, but it, not my favorite job, but my favorite, my first job, and it was enjoyable, was working at a Christmas tree lot and just seeing people happy, giving them Christmas trees all day. So I imagine at some point you kind of have the same feeling for a little bit until you do your 10,000th run and you're just like, all right, this sucks. I hate Christmas trees. 
No, you know, it, it you definitely gets you in the Christmas spirit early because we start harvest uh, like right around Halloween. Oh, dang. That's crazy. Everyone yeah. always forgets so, about Thanksgiving, man. It always just gets uh, gets overthought, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. We don't, and well, this the farm we fly for, we get to take Thanksgiving off at least, which is nice. So. That's good. All right. So you are, uh, you're doing all that. What What's kind of coming up next? Uh, I keep talking about your progression in the helicopter world. Yeah. So, uh, Another thing helicopters do is uh, is almond frost protection or AMON if you're down in Northern California. If you call them almonds, you're going to get shot. So uh, AMON, AMON frost protection. Uh, and so we, we ended up getting a contract to go down and do that. And so I went down to um, Arbuckle, California, uh, right around the San Sacramento area, and was just on standby. So when the air gets cold enough where the, where the frost is going to form on the buds of the trees, then they have us go out. And they uh, have a, they light fires around the field, and where the smoke layer goes up, or the inversion layer is, you kind of just sit in that, and you pull that warm air down through the orchard, and that way the trees don't freeze. And yeah, so there's all kinds of lights on your helicopter, and you go check the fields and you know the daytime to make sure you know where the wires are and everything. And so you're flying, you know, from about midnight to six in the morning sometimes, um, depends on when the frost is going to come in. So I did that. And when I got back from that, there wasn't a lot of work for me. And so I ended up getting on as a security guard at uh, Columbia Helicopters in uh, Aurora. And then I was also working as a fixed wing instructor uh, at that airport. And um, I, the reason I got on as a security guard at Columbia wasn't because I had aspirations of being a security guard, but it's because I knew if I was already working there, I could get on as a seasonal co-pilot to fly their heavy helicopters. And it worked out for me. They end up hiring in, in the springtime, and I walked into the chief pilot's office with my resume and my my badge on, and and I was like, hey, you know, I'd like to be a co-pilot, and so went through the interview process, got the job, and, and got on with Columbia flying the uh, the CH forty six or the Frog, or they call it the CH one hundred seven, uh, but it's a tandem rotor. It's a smaller version of the Chinook, and uh, I did that for a season with them. And then uh, realized that you know, I'd really like to be in a, uh, a single pilot crew again. Uh, the crew environment was great. I flew with some amazing pilots, still friends with them today. Uh, but I was just really looking to fly on my own and learn more. And uh, ended up getting a job on the East Coast out in Gettysburg with a company called Haverfield. Uh, they're the guys that do the power line work where you see the guy on the platform with the magic wand where they bond onto the wire. Yeah, so I ended up going out and doing that for... Uh, almost three and a half years or so with uh, with them and we did uh power line patrol so i was actually based in worcester ohio for yeah, like i a lived year. in worcester ohio you, oh really yeah i lived there for four no three years for uh, oh my gosh 2014 or 2017 oh that's funny okay i was there before that that's but, crazy uh, yeah we have we had a company uh company apartments there and so i was just based there at the airport and We'd go out and we had to fly six hours a day minimum for uh, first energy. And we'd go out and patrol all the lines, make your kind of map and plan. And, you know, you kind of plan your lunch stop around your favorite restaurant. And, uh, but yeah, you'd fly six hours a day minimum to go patrol all the wires there. Uh, and then once I did patrols for a while, I got to go do uh, some long line work. So where you have the, the rope that hangs underneath the helicopter. Um, doing and then i of course there's the the wire pulling where you actually put the rope on the side of the helicopter and pull uh, cable through all these blocks so that they can actually pull the power line when they're building the power line and, and then uh, yeah they did the platform work to the energized line work so where the you're working on a 500,000 volt line you got a guy sitting on on your platform and you're wearing a a, a hot suit 
it's like a Faraday cage, stainless steel and Nomex, and you actually become one with the power line. Uh, so you, yeah, so did that for a while, and uh, yeah, I got to work all over the U.S. with those guys doing all different kinds of missions with the uh, MD500 helicopter, and that uh, was a great learning experience. Uh, lots of really good training, and just a whole, it was a lot of fun. That's insane, dude. What haven't you done with a helicopter? Like, literally, I thought you were going to say, like, two things. Oh, I flew one guy to get lunch, like, every once in a while. You're like, nope. I lived in Worcester. <laughs> I lived in e- the East Coast. I, I did Almond, or Almond, sorry, Almond. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> what, like, are you still going to, do you still have more to say? Like, like this is insane. How'd you do this? All? Oh, no, yeah. We're, we're just tip of the iceberg right now, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, uh, the, the negative to this was, and you can appreciate this, is I was gone 330 days a year for Oof. two years in a row wow did you have and, a wife girlfriend and, and family yeah no so uh, my wife has been with me for since i started flight school so she's seen the whole progression uh and bless her soul that she has stood by my side for all this because it has not been easy uh but during that time when i was gone you know i came, i'd come home for a month both those years take a month off and lo and behold she got pregnant and we had a baby and and here I am gone again for the next year and she's at home by herself with a toddler. And, and she goes, you know what? I think it's time for you to find a new job. I was like, I was like, you know what? I think you're right. <laughs> so, uh, I ended up finding a job back home. Uh, it wasn't home base, but the company was close to my house, but the schedule was 14 on 14 off. So much more conducive to family life. I mean, you're still gone half the year, but, uh, it was a great company. Uh, Wilson construction out of Canby. And the, just it's a family-owned business. They treat their employees really well, and they stick to their schedule. And great, great machines. So it's still flying the MD500, uh, just a different version of it. And I got to travel again all over the place with them, um, bunch mostly the West Coast. And then we we had a big project project up in Canada, but doing the same thing, doing power line construction. Um, no more patrols. It was just strictly construction. So now, uh, and we're also uh, you're taking guys on the end of the long line and set them on towers. Uh, it's called HEC human external cargo. I did that at Haverfield too, but, um, anyway, started to do more of that stuff with these guys and, and still building power lines all over the place. And, uh, it was a, it was a really good job, fun crew and everything. And then, uh, yeah, but I worked there for about four, four years, four and a half years. And, uh, I started, we had some downtime in the winter, you know, we had, three, four months off in the winter time and, you know, we're salary. So it was great. And the company took really good care of us, but you know, I was kind of bored. So I would go find some other work to do, you know, and I ended up flying uh, precision and, and started doing some side work for them, like Christmas tree harvest and got on their 135 to fly their 500 and got checked out in the A star. Cause I hadn't flown one of those yet. And pretty soon the, the uh, CEO calls me and he goes, Hey, our chief pilot's leaving. What do you think? I was like, well, I like the guy. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? <laughs> and he's like, no, you want the job. Like, Did you get the right number? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know who I am, right? It's a tie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but it was a small company at the time. They had, they had uh, two pilots. It was the DO and the chief pilot. And they had two helicopters and a couple airplanes. They had an Aero and a 172. And uh, he's like, hey, we've you know, we're, we're got big things planned but we'd love to have you on board and, and, uh, talk to my wife about it. And 
I thought I was really at my forever job with Wilson. It's such a great place. And, and but the opportunities I knew were going to be really large here. So I ended up taking the job and started drinking from a fire hose because I'd been out of the 135 world for eight years. And uh, we, the company started growing like crazy. Uh, and we, <laughs> we started getting more aircraft, more pilots, more mechanics. We ended up switching our location. Uh, it's from Newburgh to McMinnville. And the opportunities that have come with that have just been amazing. Um, you know, the, the first one I can think of is I got to take a A-Star helicopter from Newburgh, Oregon to Golfito, Costa Rica. That was a, that was an amazing flight down across the U S yeah. I mean, and it took four days. So solo or do you have people with you? It sounds like you like flying. solo. Uh, no, no, I had, I had a guy with me. Um, it was kind of my interview flight actually with precision when I first took the job, it was like, Hey, take him with you and, you know, see how he does. So we, we have a, a, a yacht support contract and that we were taking the helicopter back down to meet the yacht. That's and a sick so, job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this one's even, this one's really neat because it's uh, it's not just a luxury yacht. It's a research vessel and one of the most, uh, advanced research vessels in, in the world. And we're so fortunate to be a part of that and teamed up with them. But, uh, we went down there and dropped the helicopter off on the, on the ship. And that pilot stayed there with the aircraft to fly the mission. And I flew home and, and that's kind of how I got started with precision. That's so cool. It's so like, you don't think about even in fixing world, you don't really think about the true capabilities and the type of jobs you can do with aircraft or with helicopters, uh, now drones or anything that can fly, you know, it's just like, there's so many things that you can do that if you don't talk to people, if you don't research it, listen to podcasts, you never even hear about that. Like what you're talking about with, with almonds, with almonds is like, I would have never guessed that. That's just insane. Or unless you've seen power lines be constructed or what you're talking about, you would never know that. So it's just, it's crazy the benefit of aircraft, of helicopters, of drones, of all that, of what they've done for uh, in- industries. No, it's unbelievable. And I mean, you learn something new every day. Every time I go to an airport and I see some interesting craft, I'm, I'm like, what do you guys do with that? You know? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And there's some crazy yeah. helicopters out there. The only thing I haven't heard you talk about is flying a crane helicopter. Have you flown one of those? I never flew a sky crane. I've ridden in one, uh, but I've, I've never, I've never uh, had been on the controls of one of those. But, uh, you know, we do have heavy helicopters. Actually, I'm sitting in right now. I'm sitting in a Super Puma helicopter. Uh, and so that's, it's not as big as a crane or anything like that. It's more like a Blackhawk size. But uh, that's our largest helicopters that we have at Precision. Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. As pilots, we're great at preparing for every possible eventuality in the skies. But have you thought about whether you're saving enough for the financial future you want after you hang up your wings? It's an important question to ask and easy to answer with the free retirement paycheck calculator from our friends at RAA. Based on a few simple factors, it shows how much income you could expect to receive each month in retirement at your current savings pace. And if you're falling short of your goals, steps you can take to course correct your savings strategy. It's like an instant snapshot of your financial outlook that every pilot can benefit from, whether you're just entering the industry or nearing your final flight. Again, it's called the retirement paycheck calculator. It just takes a few minutes and it's free. I run my numbers on a regular basis and you'll love the financial clarity and confidence you'll get from it. So go there now at raa.com slash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. So I have to talk to you a little about the fixed wing side too. When did, when, why, uh, sound like you are 
you, you love helicopters. Like there's no doubt about that. Anyone listening to this right now knows that you love helicopters, but why did you decide to go the fixed wing route as well? Was it just part of the job or you're like, oh, I'm flying anyways. I might as well just go back through training and spend more money on something else. <laughs> <laughs> so actually I started flying fixed wing right after I got my instrument helicopter. I started taking lessons and I, the, my reasoning for it was that I figured having more ratings couldn't hurt me. That would make me more marketable. And not only that, but the freedom of having a fixed wing rating is you can go to any airport anywhere, get a checkout and run an airplane. Um, you can't really do that with a helicopter. So, I mean, you can, but I, it's not, it's a lot of my price range. So, uh, I, I ended up started to add on those ratings. I added on my private right after my uh, instrument helicopter. And then I had on my instrument airplane. And when I got my commercial and CFI helicopter, I think I had my commercial, my CFI, my CFWI helicopter. I ended up taking my commercial and CFI ride add-on in the airplane at the same check ride. Are you so, serious? With the same examiner? Yeah. You did both? Yep. So we flew half the check ride from the left seat, and then we landed, and I switched seats, and we flew the rest of the check ride. That's hilarious. I love that. Yeah. So that so I started adding them all on, and I didn't really have a plan. I just knew that more ratings couldn't hurt me. So, But I knew my eventual dream would be to be able to be dual-rated. So what was easier for you? Obviously you started flying uh, fixed wing after helicopters, but was it were fixed wing just so much more easier to you uh, to, to pick up or the whole system or was it, was it more difficult than you imagined? No, actually, uh, you know, I'd been, of course started helicopters. So I had the radios and navigation, all that, the piloted stuff all down from the helicopter. And so I got on the airplane, it was pretty automatic. Um, you're like, wait, you all know, you do is pull back. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So I, was, easy. I was like, Oh, how's, how's it get smaller? How's it get bigger? Yeah. I got it. Yeah. yeah. You guys are uh, pilots, helicopter pilots, you're real pilots. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, it was fun. It was a different challenge. Right. And, uh, I didn't really do much with my fixed wing ratings besides like fly a couple times a year, just go run an airplane, do the hundred dollar hamburger thing. And then when I got to precision, you know, we had the arrow on the one thirty five, and I started flying VFR 135 in the arrow. And, just building my time and having a good having fun doing that and then one day the boss says hey we're gonna buy a pc12 what do you think and uh i go uh i think that's great airplane you know uh i go you think i can fly it and he's like well you're gonna fly it <laughs> that's why okay. we're buying it <laughs> sounds good yeah. uh so i ended up going to flight safety to go get uh, my initial checkout in the uh, pc12 I'd never even sat in one before. I'd never flown a turboprop airplane. I'm coming up from the Piper Arrow, and uh, here I am in a Pilatus uh, in a Legacy series and, and just fell in love with the airplane. I mean, you can appreciate it. I know it's not a jet, but you've got plenty of time in the PC-12 to know it's just a really a capable. It's a fun plane, man. You can, one, like, just, it's easy. It's not, I mean, it's pretty simple to master. Just don't full stall the airplane and you will be okay. Every landing is like a soft landing no in that plane. Yeah, if you have a bad landing in that plane where anyone really notices it, then that would have been a actual crash in any other airplane because that trailing link gear <laughs> has to be the best gear I've ever had in my life. That's uh, so true. Yeah, it is such a forgiving airplane. It just unless you stall it, you don't. If you do stall that, it, so. it's over. <laughs> yeah, that's game. That's game over for yeah, sure. Literally, so. if I know I, if you, when I was flying the plane, I used to say it all the time. It's like go watch the videos of them doing their stall testing. Like 
As soon as you do a stall, that thing spins immediately and dives straight toward the ground. <laughs> immediately. Even if you know what's happening. That's the whole reason why they have a stick shaker. They invented the air or they made the airplane. They're like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> we, we're not gonna reinvent we're not gonna re rebuild it. So we're just gonna put a stick shaker in. <laughs> no, it's the truth, man. Yeah, it's uh, but it is a great airplane. Um, you know, we we've taken them on the grass and gravel runways and um and then a fun thing we added our airplane, we put a FLIR camera on it. So it actually drops out of the belly right where your battery uh, area is back there. It's on a big turret comes out. And so we can go and now do fire detection, fire mapping, or any type of ISR with that camera. Um, the capabilities that thing are amazing. And it's very hard not to get distracted by watching what they're looking at on the monitor. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, we have a full uh, charter side 135. And then of course all the camera works all 91. So, uh, but the, that's, that's where the, the fixed wing side kind of came in. And then I got this wild idea to buy an airplane. Uh, I, I was flying my neighbor's super cub, which is just so much fun. It's as close as you'll ever get to a helicopter. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I flew it to work almost every day. Uh, my commute is 40 minutes, but if I fly the super cub, it's 11 minutes. Yeah, so it was amazing to do that. And um, I went down. We our, our general manager for our repair station at, at Precision, he has a Skywagon, Cessna 180. And I was down at flight safety. He was living in Texas at the time. And he goes, hey, well, I'm going to take you for a flight tonight. Said, okay, sounds good. You know, it's just a Cessna, whatever. I got in that thing, and he took off, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. The, the capabilities, the speed, the, how smooth they are and quiet and I was like, this is the airplane. And then, of course, he came up and worked for us uh, in McMinnville, and he kept you know, nagging me, come on, get one. So I was actually looking at 170s. I wanted a Super 170. And uh, ended up finding this 180, got a pretty good deal on it, and it's been one of the best purchases I ever made. You say you got a good deal. Does that mean you bought it like four years ago and not in the last two years? Uh, I bought it right before all the prices started. Going oh up. my gosh! I hate. Uh, yeah. I I don't want to talk to you anymore. This is over. I'm not talking to you anymore. I want a I want a 182 because I've never flown a tailwheel. I would love to get a 170 Bravo or uh, a 180. But like, yeah. Holy smokes! These prices are insane. It's like I'm not. I don't want to pay 120 grand for a clapped out 182. It's like, come on. It's so insane now. Yeah, it's so sad. Yeah, and no. I, I honestly don't know if it's going to come down anytime soon. It just seems like a People have the money to buy them. They're going to buy them. Yeah. I, I'm so thankful I got into mine when I did because I just wouldn't have one right now, flat yeah. out. No. We'll talk about yeah. it. All right. So we'll get 180 came up. Would you, did you look really hard? Trade a plane, Barnstormers, friend of a friend. How'd you find it? Uh, I found this one on Barnstormers and I was looking all over the place. I was looking at everything, you know, from Facebook Marketplace to you name it. But um, ended, up, ended up finding it and it kind of, I had my list of stuff I wanted on the airplane. You know, I needed to have the, the stole kit. I needed to have VGs. I'd like to have the engine upgraded, the prop upgraded, bush wheels. You know, it just started going down the list and it ticked it all. The only box that didn't tick is it's a VFR um, panel. But lucky enough for me, Precision is a Garmin dealer, Garmin service center, uh, and our repair station. So I, I, I know some good avionics guys. So that's the plan coming up to is upgrade that. But uh, that's another, that's another topic. But uh, yeah, so I found this airplane, went down and looked at it. Um, it was an old ranch plane, uh, you know, so it's, it's not a, it's not going to win any, any like beauty shows or anything like that, but it's, it's a, it's just got, had all the meat and potatoes and it, and I was like, yep, this is the one, put a deposit on it. 
and got all my ducks in a row for financing, came back, you know, months later, picked it up. Um, it's been an absolute blast. But the biggest reason I wanted to get into something with more seats is, is my kids. They would fly with me. I have a, I have a, a son and a daughter. They're 12 and 10 now, and they couldn't fit side by side in the back of the Super Cup anymore. And, and you can't leave one behind. So, I mean, you could, it just, uh, they usually don't like walking back at the 40 minute, <laughs> the 40 minute drive exactly. all by exactly. themselves. <laughs> so, and then, you know, they're both getting to the age where I was sitting in the back of the Super Cub and I was letting them sit up front and fly me around. And, and so now the 180, it is a total fight on who gets the front seat. <laughs> so we have to, you know, take turns. That's so cool. That you're literally speaking like my dream and my goal. Like there was a, uh, uh, currently a J five cub up for sale and it looks like a lot of, it looks like a impeccable aircraft. Like everything looks great about it, but I'm thinking more of like, it's more of a short term, short term buy, not a long term buy. It's like, it's not going to be my only airplane. And I don't really know if I'm ever going to be in the financial ability to have multiple aircraft, you know? Uh, but it's just like, I still 182, even, I mean, I'd love to get a, like I said, a 170 Bravo or a 180 as well. Cause those things just seem so cool. And there's just something about a tail dragger, you know, it just like screams respectability and just looks so cool. Yeah. And I mean, if you, I mean, you, you follow bananas. So yeah. I mean, of course, you know, I mean, how many kids does he have? And he's got the cub. So yeah, he does. Uh, he also has but it's one the of those, greatest yeah, it, content on Instagram. <laughs> Oh, dude, it's it's amazing. I love it. Uh, but the Cub is just total freedom, and especially one like that, uh, you know. And then you look at um, oh, just well, any any Cub is just so fun. I flew a Carbon Cub the other day for the first time, and wow, yeah, Carbon Cubs are cool. Talk about some money though. Yeah. Holy smokes! Oh man, yeah, no, they're 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 definitely not attainable for me. Oh. So. <laughs> well, maybe I don't know. You keep on moving up that chief pilot. Maybe become the new CEO. Precision. Uh, you never know. <laughs> You never know. Your you boss is listening to this like, wait a second. He's coming for a job. <laughs> he knows he's safe. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit like the chief pilot hat on right now. The The pilot market's insane right now. What's it like for you guys getting pilots? Is the helicopter market just as hot or is it mainly the fixed wing side that you're having trouble with pilots or if you are having trouble at all? No, we're definitely having trouble on both sides. Uh, you know, the, our Pilatus position is a very unique position. Uh, it's, and a lot of it, there's a lot of downtime sometimes. And so it's hard to get guys to come over for that one. And we're a small company, so we're not paying airline wages and everything like that. And so that one's been tricky. It has been a little easier to find guys on the fixed wing side, but the helicopter side, we do such specialized work with the, the firefighting and with the utility construction, um, and, and, uh, drill work, all this stuff. And it takes a lot of a lot of work experience in order to be able to go out and do this stuff. It's not something you can just learn at flight school. And so it's been really hard to find people. And I'm very, very picky on who I hire. Also, we have such a great, a great team at precision with the right attitude that, um, it narrows the field down even more. When people walk in with the, if they walk in with the ego, it's just, yeah, sorry, you know, it's not the place for you. You know, you know, you see the CEO out pushing the broom around the hangar, you know, you see, me or anybody else out washing aircraft on the ramp, you know, it's, we're all one team. And so some people, they, you know, that's a disqualifier for them personally, right away. You know, they're, you know, I am pilot, right? So, uh, <laughs> I am legend. Uh, I am but, pilot. Yeah, exactly. So it's been hard. It's been really hard. And, uh, it's been taxing on, on our staff because everybody's had to do a lot of workovers, but, uh, we're getting to the point now where we have a good team with depth 
and uh, not and try to keep everybody on a rotation. So we're working for the Forest Service, so we can only work 12 days maximum at a time. And so most of the guys are on 12 day on 12 day off hitch. And then our guys that are up in Alaska, they're working 21, 21, but I really focus on everybody being able to have their family time and, and getting their break and, you know, a good quality of life. And, and so I'm really, really thankful that we are finally getting to the point where we can, we can really provide that. Yeah. And talk, I guess before I ask that, who is, so that the fixed wing side, you know, you have the airlines to compete against, you have, um, big money corporate departments, fractional apartments, you have kind of everyone knows who's going to spend the big money and everyone kind of knows at one point they're going to lose their pilot. But I mean, I hate to say it, but it's going to be true. Like eventually airlines going to be too much and everyone's going to be in trouble. But with your helicopter side, who, who's, who has the big money? What's like, uh, what do most people go to? Do they go down to the golf and fly to platforms? Uh, is it what you're doing? Like wh- what would be the, the airline industry in that? Like who pays the most? Who's, who's taking all these pilots? Utility aviation pays the most. So doing construction power line work. Uh, there's some big companies out there with deep pockets that will pay a premium for that pilot. And as they should, those pilots are very talented at what they do. And the industry is changing. You're seeing pay rates come up a little bit um, and schedules get better. But on the helicopter side, what I find on people more than anything is quality of life. You know, yeah, they want to get paid, uh, obviously, as much as they can get paid. But if you provide a good quality of life and a good work environment, that that pays pretty high on a scale. So, um, but the, the utility side is definitely the highest paying jobs. You know, you have everything from offshore, EMS, ENG, you know, where you're out flying for the news, um, the the private charter market where you're flying for, you know, single owners like you do in, in corporate, uh, you know, you got the firefighting industry, uh, the drilling industry, hella skiing. There's just, there's so many different avenues to go down and, and all those, each one of those things is, you know, it's a lot of on the job training. It's a lot of, um, kind of travel knowledge on how to do them. And so, uh, it's kind of whichever direction people want to go. What, uh, what's the shadiest situation you've ever found yourself in a helicopter where you're like, Oh my gosh. Or you kind of didn't know. You're like, Oh, that was close. I'm not doing that again. Well, uh, I actually contacted a pull top once with okay. all five rotor blades. I'm sure that was, that was little, my uh, pucker factor. Yeah. That, oh yeah. That was my, that was my scariest. I get goosebumps here thinking about it. That was my scariest moment in helicopter. Um, was just, uh, didn't have my situational awareness going on all the way and was over-focused on where my line was underneath me. And I'd stopped my descent and I ended up hitting all five blades on top of this pole. And, uh, luckily, you know, I did, didn't stop the blades. I was able to pull up and, uh, and go land, but, uh, the helicopter needed knew everything. So, and I needed, and I needed a new pair of shorts. So, you know, <laughs> so what happened in that situation? So what's going through your mind? All of a sudden you make contact with all five blades. Like you said, thank goodness you didn't stop or they didn't stop. What, what did you do in that situation? Like what kind of training kicked in, in your head, uh, to keep you going and to make sure you got out of that? Okay. I don't think there's any training for that. Um, I, I pulled, I had already stopped my descent, but I settled enough onto the top of the pole where they hit and I just pulled up. It was really severe vibration throughout the whole aircraft. And, uh, I just headed straight back for our service landing there. It was in West Virginia. <laughs> what is with West Virginia and bad luck, huh? And, <laughs> right, you're uh, telling me. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so, and so there's nowhere to land. And so I had to go back to the service landing and, uh, it was probably a mile and a half from where I was and, and the helicopter was just shaking and shaking and shaking. And anyway, got it back on the ground there, shut it down. Um, 
And then, you know, at the time it didn't really hit me. I wasn't really shaken. You know, you just kind of, you reacted to the situation. You went and did what you did. But then afterwards, you know, I, you know, really was thinking about, wow, I, you know, this could have been really bad. I had alignment on the skid, you know, we could have ended up at the bottom of that pool on that mountainside, you know, and just you know, sitting there shaking hands, you know, and just is, uh, hit me afterwards for sure. Adrenaline is a crazy, crazy thing and what it can do to you. And then it wears off and the shock hits and you're like, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, dang. Um, what about a fixed swing? Have you had any big issues with fixed swing at all? Have you been pretty lucky? Um, I've had some. Yeah, you know, I've, I. Uh, it's more of been self-induced stuff. Oh, of course, got it. you know, <laughs> no, no need um, to explain. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to go places in the airplane. I sometimes probably shouldn't go. That's funny. So. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we'll leave it at that. So let us leave let yeah. them their imagination go. <laughs> um, we've been talking for, uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I just want to touch on the fact that your wife uh, obviously is a saint, but what's your secret? Yes. People that, that come through this, uh, what do they need to know about either having a spouse in aviation, being in aviation with a spouse? Like, how do you guys make it work? Because it's hard, especially when you throw kids in the mix, you throw not being there, you're gone for 330 days out of a year. Like how... I don't understand why she's still with you. I'm just gonna be honest with you. <laughs> like, I don't either. I, yeah. I was good outside. I, it was our anniversary last week or a couple of days ago. And, uh, I was like, wait, why are you still here? <laughs> yeah. What so did I, I do? Her. Like, what is wrong? Yeah. What's wrong with yeah. you? Leave me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. Uh, you know, starting a career in aviation, doesn't matter if it's fixed wing or helicopter, you have to have a support system. And if you don't have a support system, I would really question going into this industry. Because it's hard. There's so much work. There's so much time dedication. And if you just don't have that, that backing, it is, it's just flat out hard. And there was nobody around to tell me or her that when we got into this career. It was, come to aviation. It's great. You know, <laughs> it was, there, which it is. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But it's hard. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a balance. It's, it's taking the time when you're together and maximizing, you know, everything when you're, when you, when you're together, you're not sitting on the couch, scrolling Instagram when you're home for two days, you know, you're, you're talking, you're doing things together. You know, I was just home for 36 hours. Uh, I got home uh, before our anniversary and went out to dinner and then we went out and hung out with some friends the next day down the river. And then I flew out. <laughs> so, um, it's, uh, it definitely takes the right person and it takes a really good understanding, especially from a spouse perspective of, uh, you know, what they're getting into. And it takes a lot of trust. You know, you're on the road, you're in hotels, you're, you're out at the bar with the guys, you're doing all this stuff where you're not together. And so there's a big trust factor there. And, um, and if you got, you got to have those things and a really good foundation. Um, I'm lucky enough that we have lots of family that live close by. And so if my wife needs help with the kids or anything like that, uh, or just needs a break. There's somebody there to talk to. There's somebody to help out, and that's been a huge saving grace. But yeah, it's just that it's that balance when you are home and capitalizing on that time with each other. That's the magic. And it's also important to know that it's going to be tough. Like you have to understand that it's going to be hard. You guys are going to have times where like she's not going to want you to go, or, or just something's going to happen. 
where it's not going to be easy and you just get through it and you work through it. And at some point you say, Hey, maybe I, you come to the conclusion, like when she said you need to get in your job and you're like, all right, yeah, you're probably right. I'm having a kid soon. <laughs> we need to, have, I need to be home more, you know, like at some point you, you do have to make some kind of sacrifice. You have to kind of understand what, what it's worth and figure out, uh, maybe take a different job or you, you figure it out. You know, it's not all easy and it's not all going to be, uh, the people that make it work, they definitely have the difficult moments too. So when you're going through it, understand that people have gone through it before and they've found a way to make it work. Yeah, absolutely agree. And now it is time for the rapid fire section. Today's rapid fire section is sponsored by Sirius XM Aviation. With high resolution coast-to-coast composite radar and cloud-to-cloud, cloud-to-ground lightning updated every 2.5 minutes along with always available weather products like METARs, ECOTOPS, and storm tracks. Sirius XM lets you fly confidently knowing that your weather information is available at 500 feet or at your destination 500 miles ahead. Check out aopa.org forward slash Sirius XM to get a two-month free trial to try these products out for yourself. Well, perfect. Well, I'll do some rapid fire questions for you real quick, if you don't mind, and then I'll let you go. I know you are, are hanging out a bunch of, with a bunch of helicopters. They're probably trying to pull you aside to go with some food at some point. <laughs> but yeah, uh, some, some point, some point, but uh, I got some rapid fire questions for you. So don't explain anything. Just literally the first thing that comes to your mind, say it, it doesn't matter what it is. You ready? Yep. Go for it. Favorite airplane ever made. Seth and Wade's Skywagon. Favorite corporate jet ever made. Falcon 7X. Favorite helicopter ever made. A AS332 Super Puma. No idea what that is, but that sounds cool. <laughs> What's the so ugly- that's what I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> that works too. What's the ugliest <laughs> helicopter ever made? Oh, it's got to be an MI something. Those are those are things are terrible looking. Ugliest airplane ever made? Honda jet. <laughs> something you wish you knew before you became a pilot. Well, we just talked about you know the the commitment on on all sides. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? Man, there's so many people. I got to say, like, probably the Wright brothers, just because Ooh, just cool. to get, yeah, just to see, you know, what they're, I won't explain it, but yeah, Wright brothers. Favorite thing about aviation? The absolute freedom. The hardest flight you've ever flown? Mm. A wire pole in Montana. <laughs> Sounds like a, a story for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Come good, back good next story. week. We'll talk about the wire pole in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite flight you've ever flown? Uh, I got to fly with my dad coast to coast in MD 500. That's cool. Uh, I'll ask, I usually ask what's your favorite airport to land at, but I'll say what's your favorite place to land at? Because who knows? Maybe you made a clearing out in the woods in Oregon and you go land there all the time in a helicopter. <laughs> You know, anytime I'm hello skiing when I'm out in the mountains and I land and there's, I shut the helicopter down and there's nothing, that's my favorite place. Uh, that would be similar. You fly, do you follow I Fly Heli? I think it's the name. York? Yeah. Maybe. He always does yep. crazy stuff like that. Yeah, no, I love it out there. I actually was flying right above where he's based at oh, uh, cool. this winter I was in Utah. That's awesome. All right. What's your least favorite place to land at? Hot and dusty. Oh, yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. What's your, um, let's see, IFR or VFR? VFR. Favorite airport food. Uh, let's say you're flying a helicopter. You just did 10,000 turns in one day and you have 30 minutes for lunch. You didn't pack your lunch. You got to get something. What are you getting? Tacos. 
Ooh, I like tacos. That's good. Making me want it right now. <laughs> Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or city? Uh, mountains, mountains. Yeah. Airbus or Boeing? And this could be all together. So I guess Boeing takes a hit on not having uh, the helicopter side, but. Uh, well, they, they, have, I mean, they have some. They have the Chinook and the. That's Apache. true. That um, is true. Yeah. So but there. No, Airbus. Airbus. Airbus yeah. does have some really cool helicopters, I will say. They're very capable. Yeah. As a, yeah, that's what I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> What's your favorite airline livery if you have one? Uh, I like American's paint scheme. It's just so clean. Would you rather fly your helicopter trip to uh, that you did to Costa Rica, where it's a nice long flight, takes four days, or would you rather do a day full of uh, tree flights? Man, I'm in the seat no matter what all day on both of those. That's true. But when you just kind of get the cruise out and not think about anything, the other one you're working hard. Yeah. I'll take the, I'll take the cross country. What's the biggest regret you have in your career so far? Not having my multi-engine rating yet. What's your biggest win in your career so far? The current position I'm in. Piper or Cessna? Cessna. You could travel anywhere in the world. Say you have a trip to Bali or you could do, you could fly a helicopter over the coolest mountain in the world or whatever it be. Would you rather take the coolest airplane and go fly it in the coolest spot or would you rather take the coolest helicopter and fly in the coolest spot? Helicopter because there is no spot I couldn't go then. It's true. All right, man. Those are all the questions I have for you. The last one I have is uh, you You seem to have done pretty well for yourself. You seem to have learned. You have some insight. You know, someone's listening to this. Be like, you know what? Maybe fixed wing's not for me. Maybe I want the helicopter side. What are three tips you would tell someone that is listening right now that loves what you're doing and wants to get into the industry that you're in and kind of get in the position you're in right now? Number one is do your homework. You know, there's so many avenues to go down either path and just see what interests you and make sure it's something you can see yourself doing for a long time. Uh, Number two is attitude is absolutely everything. And you never know who's going to be your boss tomorrow. Um, you know, you, you never know who's going to be your customer. So having the good attitude and the willingness to do anything is paramount to success in this, in this industry and work hard, work harder than anybody else show up every day, be willing to do it all and just put it out there. Love it. And I also love what you said about don't have an ego when you're looking to hire someone. I remember my first yeah. job, I was flying aerial survey and I showed up to the hangar, like all pumped, like, all right, cool, I'm gonna go fly. I was like, yeah, what, what can we do? He's like, take the broom and sweep up all the flies that are on the floor. And I was like, what? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> hey, you're my boss. Like, that's cool. I'll fly a plane eventually. But I did it with a smile on my face. It took forever. Put some that's headphones right. in and just rocked out. But uh, might have been some initiation to see how I handled it. But it's like, just go with the flow. You, you're not bigger than the program. You know, you're not bigger than your job. So just just be a good teammate and, uh, and have fun. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Ty, thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, I will warn you that I might try to steal your airplane at one point and bring it back to North Carolina. I'm sorry if I'm successful, but then it's now my airplane. But uh, hey, in all seriousness, if, if you ever get an overnight in PDX, you just right? look me up. We'll go I fly will. Every once in a while. Uh, don't make me buy a 180, man. <laughs> uh, well, don't go fly with me then. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that's so much fun. Oh, well, if I ever do, I might hit you guys up to see if you can put a Garmin panel in my, uh, in my airplane. So how about that? I'll buy a plane in the Northwest and then fly it down to you guys and put some Garmin stuff in it. That's perfect. We'll get it. We'll get it set up just nice. <laughs> cool, man. Well, Ty, thanks so much for having or having me on. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Hope you have a good day. 
Well, thanks for having me, man. We'll talk to you later. We'll see you. AV Nation, that's a wrap on today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, please leave us a review. Check us out on Instagram, Pod Pilot. Follow Ty as well. He's got a pretty cool, pretty cool channel. So go ahead and check him out. Uh, I definitely want a Skywagon now. I've never flown a tailwheel. Uh, so thanks, Ty. Appreciate it. If I'm ever in PDX, like I said, I might just be taking your airplane and you won't have it anymore. <laughs> but AV Nation, I hope you're having a great day and I hope to see you at Osh. And as always, happy flying.